Good morning. Happy Father's Day, all you dads, and uh, glad you've uh, made it here today. We've got some uh, good things for you following the service across the hall. We have Mike's Get Fat class, and I think you'll really enjoy that. Uh, it's also a good time of fellowship, and uh, we got some books for the dads. Seal of God, uh, I think you'll really enjoy that book. And uh, Army, you know, a Navy SEAL, you never think they're... they're uh, Soft-hearted towards God, but you know how God touched this man's life and changed him. I think you really enjoy that. Plus, we got some good vittles for you, things you'll enjoy. If you brought your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in them to the book of Exodus chapter 3. We're looking at the life of Moses. We remember last time we were together that Moses had killed an Egyptian guard. He was found out the children of Israel could have been delivered 40 years before they were had they just accepted Moses as their Savior. But you see, the thing is, rather than them embracing Moses for defending them against the tyranny of the Egyptians, they turned Moses into the federales. Moses, scared for his life, hightails it out, and for 40 years, he's on the backside of the wilderness. Now, the first 40 years of Moses' life, he thought he was a somebody. The next 40 years, God taught him he was a nobody. And the next 40 years of his life, God shows everybody what God does with nobodies. I like that about God. God makes all things new. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we just ask you that, first of all, you'd bless every dad listening, that you would extend to them that hand of, uh, of, of compassion, understanding, and Lord, that we all appreciate one another, what you've done, you, Father, Father of all fathers. And so we ask you now that as we spend this time in your study of your word, may you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 3, and by the way, I think about different examples of good fathers in the Bible. And most of you are familiar with the story that Jesus gave of what was called the prodigal son. This is a guy that had two boys, and they came to him. His youngest son said, Dad, I want my part of the inheritance. I want to go off to the big city. I want to be funky and free. I want to be free and funky. And so dad goes, well, son, I wish you wouldn't go. But he writes him a check and says, here you go. So he takes off and he goes, and the Bible says he wasted his life on riotous living until he was broke. And he got so broke that he ends up filling his stomach with what the pigs were eating. He was a pig pot eater. And there he was, and he came to his senses and said, you know, even my father's servants are treated better than I am. I'm not worthy to be called my, my dad's son anymore, but maybe he'll hire me as a hired hand and I'll swallow my pride and I'll head back and go home. The Bible says, and I think this is one of the greatest examples of a good father in the Bible. The Bible says his father saw him a long way off. What that means is his dad was looking for him every day. And I, I can always see that dad looking down the whole dusty road going, I wonder today if my wayward son is going to come home. I don't know what happened to him. We haven't got a postcard. We haven't got a letter. We haven't got a text message. We haven't got anything. I wonder what happened to him. Every day looking down the road. And then here's an image 
Somebody's walking like McKee, and he's walking down the road. And while he was yet a far, long way off, the Bible says, his father ran to meet him. That's a good dad, everyone. That's a dad that realizes your kids are going to do stupid things. And in the midst of their stupid things, that you, they, you still love them anyway. And while his kid was a long way off, he ran to him. He put a ring on his finger. He put a robe on him. He came home in his fruit of the looms. And the Bible says that he embraced him, hugged him by his neck. You know, I think there's a lot of time when, when we can hold grudges. And a lot of times, sons to their fathers, fathers to their children can do that. But I just want to encourage everybody, remember the great things that God has forgiven you for. And that in turn allows us to forgive others. If The Bible says if you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive us. Well, you don't understand what they did. Well, yeah, God does. And the Bible tells us to forgive. He hugs his son's neck, comes back, kills the fatted calf, has a big party for him. Of course, the younger, uh, the uh, the older brother was angry because, well, you never threw a party for me and my friends, which is really sad because here's the son, the one that didn't leave, who owns the entire farm. His son, all his younger son already got his inheritance. His older son forgot who he was and was jealous of his dad's benevolence towards his younger brother. And I think about that a little bit. I think, how is it that we, inheritors of the kingdom, who you and me are, and we forget oftentimes who we are in the midst of looking around saying, look what they got, look what I didn't. God says, baby, it's all yours anyway. And his dad says, what you should be rejoicing over is your brother who was dead, who was lost, is now alive. See, that's a good dad. Saw him a long way off. Well, let's go to our story in chapter 3 here. We find Moses. And we find a heavenly father dealing with Moses. Now, Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, not Jethro the Bodine, Jethro the father of his, of, his, of his wife. And the Bible tells us that he was on the backside of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire in the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, a bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Now this is weird, friends. But there is such an important part of you in your Christian life here. And this has probably been the greatest impact in my life that I can share with you this morning. And that is this. When you see something out of the ordinary... Look for God. The bush should have burned up. I have been in the wilderness. I have seen bushes burning. Am I super spiritual? No, I was up on a mountain during an electrical storm and lightning hit a sagebrush just outside of Ely, Nevada. If you're going towards Los Angeles, if you go on the 318 road, I was up there and that's where I saw a bush burning. But they burn up. 
The problem with this bush is it didn't burn up. It just kept going and going and going. And Moses goes, wow, that's something you don't see every day. I wonder what that is. And so he goes over to check it out. Why is this? Now, again, you may not see a burning bush today that burns without consuming, but you may see something else that's out of the ordinary. When you see something out of the ordinary, and I've told, this is one of the most important things, to have to see God in what we do. It is easy, you know, a lot of times we we have our own concept of how God is going to do something in our life, or how God's going to appear to us. We're praying, we have a need, whatever it might be. Oh God, and we're praying out, and we have it preconceived what God's going to do. Well, this angel is going to come and stand on the hood of my car and tell me which way to go. Generally not. But when you see something out of the ordinary, that's when we need to pay attention of God speaking to us. Now, it comes in many different forms. And what I'm saying is this. When you see something that catches your attention, first of all, if you are a Christian, I believe God allows you to see the something out of the ordinary. Somebody else might have just looked at it and said, Oh, wow, look at that. Oh, well. On with my daily business. When you see something that doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. There's more to it than you're seeing. And I believe this is one of the reasons why we need as Christians to be sensitive. Because God teaches us as his children how to see him. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The word pure means undiluted. If you go and you get something pure uh, maple syrup, syrup, that means it hasn't been cut with corn syrup. Blessed are the pure in heart. It hasn't been cut with the things of the world. You'll see God. How do we see God? When we begin to see things out of the ordinary, that's where we want to begin to look for God. I shared this story before. I used to go witnessing in Las Vegas. I had friends that lived there. And so we would go and we would get in a holy huddle and we just began to pray. If you've ever been down before the days of COVID, downtown Las Vegas was just a myriad, an ocean of people everywhere doing all kinds of crazy things. And we would pray and say, okay, God, who do you want us to talk to tonight? And we would pray. And now, all of a sudden, instead of having a sea of mass of people, now we would just begin to see some guy with his face in his hands sitting on a bench and walk up to him and say, hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm just not happy. And you sit down and you begin to minister to him. It's like everything else vanished and all you saw is this person. But I don't believe we see that in the, in the natural. And this is why this message right now is directed to Christians, not so much an evangelistic message of, hey, you need Jesus. Yes, you still do. But in order to see Jesus in this world, there's some things that we can take from his word, apply to our life to help us see it. When you see something out of the ordinary as a Christian, something that catches your attention, look for God. Moses saw this and he directly responded. He said, now I will turn aside, verse 3 again, and see this great sight, why the bush 
<coughs> does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, friends, that is so, do you get that? When he saw that he turned aside from what he was doing to that which God was bringing his attention to, notice it invoked the hand of God. And God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, by the way, God knows your name. I think that's important. Because we don't serve some unknown God that, oh, some God I pray to you out beyond the outermost cosmos that's hiding behind Jupiter. No, it's God knows our name. And friends, that's really neat. Because, Because he knows your name, he knows you. And by the way, as I've shared this so many times, there's no one ever been on this earth like you. Before, there'll never be anyone like you on this earth ever again. You are unique in who you are and all the ingredients that has made you what you are, God knows. Moses, Moses, he calls him. And he says to him, here am I. I think it's a good thing to say when God calls us, we say, here am I. You see, that's really what basically Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, when he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what basically we say, Lord, here am I. I'm here to do your will. Well, notice he says, then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. The place you stand is holy ground. By the way, I believe anywhere where you meet God is holy ground. (laughs) It just is. And I like that. Because again, when we see God doing something, we realize that God wants to meet us. And when God shows us something, it is for a reason. Not to go, oh, wow, kind of a neat looking carnival you got going on there, God. No, the reason why we see things is because God is endeavoring, first of all, to get our attention, and second of all, to get us in alignment for His purpose, what He wants us to do. And though He says, Moreover, He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look upon God. Isn't this interesting that his response was, hey there, buddy, old pal, yeah, me and God got a thing going. When you come into the presence of a a living, powerful God, you go, wow, God. You know, it's interesting, Isaiah uh, chapter 6, God revealed himself to Isaiah. And Isaiah goes, Wow, God, I am undone. (laughs) Just, whoa, your presence overwhelms me. Well, notice verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. I like that about God. God knows our sorrows. You ever have any sorrows in your life? Man, I've had a bunch in mine. I have more than sometimes I even want to think about. But you know, God knows those things. And, he, and, and the reason why I, I, I can take comfort in God is because He knows my sorrow. And the Bible says He doesn't have sympathy for us. This is good news, friends. He has empathy towards us. 
Now you say, Mike, what's the difference? Sympathy is I feel bad for you. Empathy says I know what you're going through because I have felt it too. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was a man acquainted with grief. And I look at this as very encouraging because the thing is, we have a God that can understand and relate to what you and me go through. Because otherwise, have you ever tried to talk to somebody? It's like a person that's really poor going up and talking to a multimillionaire about how they're having trouble buying a week's worth of groceries. And the rich person goes, whoa, never had that problem in my life. But you see, the problem is, is that God acquaints himself. And he's a God that loves us so much, he's not embarrassed to acquaint himself with our condition where we're at. In fact, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Why do you eat with the publicans and the sinners? And Jesus looked at him and said, Because they're the ones who need the doctor. You see, God allows our pathways to cross other people's pathways for a reason. Not to become like them. Paul says, I become all things to all men that I may win some for the cause of Christ. But that we would be able to minister to them. God says, I have seen their afflictions. I have seen their sorrow. Moses, I'm sending you. Sally, I'm sending you. John, I'm sending you. Joe, I'm sending you. To minister to them. You see, the world is Egypt. The taskmaster of this world is Satan. And let me tell you, friends, he's a hard taskmaster. He is. Because no matter how much you do, it's never enough, is it? No matter how much you give, it's not enough. No matter what you try to do, it's never enough. That's the way the devil works. More, more, more is what you'll always hear from the underworld. And so you beat yourself silly trying to find satisfaction for your soul. And the devil says, more, more, more. That's the way the devil works. God hears their cry. Friends, again, I look at this not as, as, I look at you as Moses's. And I look at the world as as, as the devil has held people captive by the dangling the trinkets in some way will attract people and saying, Oh, if I just get this, I'll be happy. Well... Anybody that's ever done that, you know if you do get it, you got to take care of it, and you'll wear yourself out waxing it. Is that true? So when we look at this, he says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in the world. Egypt, if you look all the way through the Bible, Egypt is symbolic of the old sin nature. I've heard their cry because of their taskmaster. And again, Satan is an evil taskmaster, for I know their sorrows. Oh man, I'll tell you, friends, have you gone through sorrow lately in your life? I have. But you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me there's other people around me that are sorrowful because all of a sudden, if I don't go through things in my life to remind me the way the world is, all of a sudden I can, I can, I can exempt myself from the world. In other words, in other words, too bad about you, man. But no, when I go through things too, I go, wow. 
The difference is you've got a God to turn to. They don't. Satan is a hard taskmaster. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. By the way, that's where God will take you. That's where God will take you. If you're listening to this this morning, you're not a Christian. I want to encourage you a couple of things. First of all, we become complacent in the world we're in. We, we just learn to live with our inadequacies. And, and, and we think, well, this is all there is. And, and so we try our best to compensate for what we're not. God says you're wearing yourself out doing those things. It's a lot better that you just turn your life over to him. Then you're employed by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Father of Lights. And we're about his business now to go back into a world that we were all part of and drag them out. And that's what we do. We drag them out. You know, sometimes God drags them out in different ways. Sometimes there'll be heel marks all the way into this church, all the way down to where you sat down. Because God, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go. And God says, you are drags us. The way God works. The draw of the Holy Spirit is an amazing thing. The Bible says God wills that none perish, but that all have eternal life. And so I know their sorrows. God knows those things. He understands that. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression of which the Egyptian oppresses them. Now, when you look at this, and he says in verse verse 8, So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian, to bring them into a good land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Prezites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I'm going to bring them, you, into a new place. You ready to go? Hmm. I don't know if I am or not. Well, do you want to go around the mountain one more time? I don't want to go around the mountain one more time. I'm ready to go. You know what's one of the things that God does? Is through life, he prepares us to respond. (laughs) I like that. But I don't like that. Because what happens, God brings sometimes in our Christianity, never forgetting the lost world while we're here. It'd be nice if we just accept the Lord. We just vanish out of this world, but we're here for a testament. God teaches us. Uh, listen, we're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. Now, if we lose sight of God, we're going to lose sight of the reason why we're here. And I think sometimes, and this is one of the wonderful things about coming together on a Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or whenever else, God reminds us why we're here. Because I can begin to keep, become self-focused as a pastor, as a longtime Christian, and say, well, I'm just not going to worry about all that. I'm focusing on me right now. God says, no, you focus on them out there. And God, in his grace, in his love, begins to do a change in us. And sometimes it's uncomfortability. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like to be cold. I don't like to be hot. I don't know what's wrong with our weather in Idaho because it seems that it's either one way or the other. I don't know where the nice 80 degree days went. I hope you enjoyed both of them. 
we went from 40 below zero to 100 degrees. I don't know how we do that. But the point is, is this. Sometimes in the uncomfortability, it prepares us to move, to do something. And I look at this in, in, in the Bible here, the uncomfortability where Moses was put on the backside of the wilderness. Trying to help his fellow brethren, they rejected him. And as it says in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is giving that great message to the Sanhedrin right before they decide they're going to stone him to death. He tells them how you Jewish nation, it's that God's got to show you twice before you respond. So Moses then will eventually come back and be their deliverer, but they rejected him the first time. He, uncomfortable, backside of the wilderness. Now God begins to speak to him, says their cry has gone up, and by the way, the cry of the world is going up, friends. There's no hope out there. If you're not a Christian here this morning, what in the world do you got to lose by not accepting Christ? You think what they're offering is any good? Well, you know, I've got my 401k tied to $28.8 trillion in debt. I read an article yesterday. They said the national debt of the United States of America now is so great it can never be repaid. What do you think that's going to do to your dollar? I've had somebody say one time, well, you know, my... Even if you got a silver dollar or a piece of gold, you know, what's that going to buy you? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If that won't buy you nothing, where do you think a paper dollar will do for you? You start study history, which I know is a novel concept in our schools of America. But if you look with the rise and the fall of Germany, especially around 1931-32, their inflation rate was so great, people would get paid several times a day at their job. Their wives would come down, they'd put the money in wheelbarrows, wheel it down, buy whatever they could find to buy, because that's what inflation does. There's one story where a person dumped the money out and stole the wheelbarrow. And you look at that and you realize that this is what the world is offering us people, human beings, as an alternative to living versus Christ. Where Jesus said you can make an investment in heaven that doesn't fade away. I have to, I have to do that. I have to make my assessments of do I want what God says is valuable versus what the world says is valuable. Because there's two different value system, friends. There's the world system that is perishing, and there's God's value system that's going to go on forever, which you will be eternally rewarded for. I want to, I want to make good investments. I hate making bad investments. I invested money years ago in a company. And I got my year-end statement... I, I, and, and they told me that they had lost $5,000. Good investing, yeah. I thought, why do I even put my money there? I'll just go and spend it myself. I can't do any worse than they're doing. But that's the world. Good investment in Christ. Now therefore, behold the cry of the children of Israel 
has come to me. God hears the people of the world's lostness. Have you seen it? Maybe you're living in it right now. You say, man, I need something. Come now, therefore. And he says, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I like Moses' response because it sounds like me. Verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God said, I will certainly be with you. This will be a sign to you that I have sent you. You will have brought the people out of Egypt, and you shall serve God on this mountain. That's how you're going to know what I'm telling you the truth, because you're going to return here with them. Wow. Isn't that something? He said, who am I? You know, friends, we got to look at that. Who are we? Hey, i got to tell you something. (laughs) Nothing will smack in the head like a heart attack. Because when you realize that you're a heartbeat away from leaving it all, I'll tell you something, it changes your perspective. That happened to me. I told my wife um, three hours before my heart attack, you know, this is the best day I felt in four, four weeks. Three hours later, I flatlined in the hospital. It's really weird. Wilkes Booth, who, who, uh, not Wilkes Booth, but um, Reverend Booth, who, who um, was instrumental in starting the organization called the Salvation Army. He said, every Christian should be dangled over hell for 10 seconds. It'll change your perspective forever. It's true. Because all of a sudden we reassess value. And I think this is one of the great things that we have to understand in our life. Why am I here? And if I'm not reminded by God's word, I'll begin to believe them. Do you realize how much the world's ideals affect even us as Christians? It is. You, you look at it. Look at, look, look at the, what they try to pass off as normal. You know, the Bible says in the last days, they'll say what is wrong is right, what is good is evil. We see that. And does it affect us? It can if we don't arm ourselves with what God's Word says. We need to hear God's Word. Because then I will not be effective in being about my Father's business to pull them out of the fire. Now, you're not going to do that by yourself. Because as Moses said, who am I? I'm a nobody. But you've got to remember something. You with God is a majority. And it is true. We are a nobody until you become a child of God. Now you are a somebody. Sometimes I'll, when I pray for my kids and I send them to school, I say, now you go out and show them you're a somebody. Because they are in Christ. But if you're not a person in Christ, you're a nobody because Jesus said if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, what has it profited you? You, you, you're You're not going to take it with you. So he says, Moses says to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will say to me, What is his name? 
what, who shall I say? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God says, tell me I am sent you. That's who I am. Now it's interesting because he says, the God of your fathers who sent me to you and they say to me, what is his name? You know, for many years I read this that I thought this is indirectly what what he was going to say to Pharaoh. But it's really God saying to Moses, when you speak to the children of Israel, tell them the I am sent you. What is amazing to me is when they came to Jesus and they said in John 8, they said, you're not 50 years old, Jesus, and you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said that he was the I am to the Jews in John 8, 58. And John 8, 59 says, and they picked up stones to stone him. Because Jesus there in John 8, 58 was claiming to be God. That was a capital offense to the Jewish nation. You didn't dare do that. In fact, when they would, when they would copy the scriptures... As they would sit there with their pen and ink, as they would begin to write on the parchments, all these different things. And they would come to the name God. What they would do before they would write Yahweh's name down, they would go and take a bath, come down, write Yahweh's name, and continue to transcribe till they came to the name Yahweh again and go take another bath. And so the point is simply this. Jesus then claims to be the Yahweh. He claims to be the I Am, the Ego Amini in the Bible. And boy, I'll tell you, they didn't want to hear it then. They didn't want to hear it even today. And so, more where God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord your God of your fathers, God Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. You can see why when Jesus said he was the I am in John eight fifty eight, why they wanted to stone him. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and you have seen what is done to you in Egypt. Speaking of the slavery, and I have... I've said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt and the land of the Canaanite, to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Termites. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) To the land flowing with milk and honey. That was the promise. God's saying, you got a pretty good place here. You've been impoverished. It's not good anymore. So I'm going to move you. It's time to go. So, and they will indeed hear your voice, and you shall come and with the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to them, The Lord God of Hebrews has met, me, met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. 
So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. After that, he will let you go. Now, again, most of you are familiar with this. This is where the ten plagues came upon Egypt. But Moses is getting a little taste of what's going to go on. By the way, God does that for you and me. God gives us a little taste of what's going to happen in the future. We don't have all the blueprints because we probably wouldn't believe how God would use us anyway. I remember when we started our first radio station here, I thought that was pretty neat. I, I used to listen to it and stare at the radio going, that is amazing. I remember... I was, uh, when we were downtown, and one of the board members, thank God, is no longer one. He was hanging outside my door trying to gather information. And he heard me talking to a transmitter company. And I said, well, how much for one transmitter? And, And he told me, and I said, well, how much for 10 transmitters? And, and, um... Uh, he went and told everybody saying, oh, Mike's just lying to these transmitter companies. How much for one? How much for ten? He's trying to get a good deal lying to these companies. Well, the truth of the matter is, friends, I didn't buy ten transmitters. I bought 400 transmitters. See, they don't see what you see. They don't do what you do. And God prepares you and me for what's going to happen in the future. If somebody would have said, you're going to have 400 stations someday, I'd said, you know what, you're smoking dope, skipping rope. There is no way. Because I kind of know a little bit of what it takes to maintain those. And it was only by the grace of God do I have a good, great team that allows me to keep everything running and, and keep us out of the, out of the red ink and, and all those kinds of things. That's God. But that's the way God works. God is bigger than we are. And so he tells us here, I will stretch my hand out, strike Egypt, all my wonders which I will do in their midst. After this, he'll let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go, you shall not go empty handed. But every woman, every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her, articles of silver, articles of gold, clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and upon your daughters, and you shall plunder the Egyptians. You know, God was, God was, uh, Getting ready to do something. Now, was God stealing from the Egyptians? No, they enslaved them for hundreds of years. And God says, it's payback time. Nothing misses God's observation. Thank God for that. First of all, the sacrifices you've done for God, you're going to be rewarded for. I like that. Second of all, he's there in the very present time of trouble. You're not in this alone. Remember, as God uses you to pull people out of the fire, God will give you wisdom and and, and courage and insight how to do that. And to be about your daddy's business is so important in these days that we live in. You see, we're not just saved to set. We're saved for a reason. And we need to put feet to our faith and be about our father's business. And when you look and see how, you know, Moses was out going, man, I'm going to be a world evangelist. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to go up to Pharaoh and say, hey, dude, it's time for us to go. No, that's not what happened. As a matter of fact, Moses was just tending his flock on the backside of the wilderness. And God says, 
you. And you know what? That's what God does to all of us. He just says, look, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm tending my flock. I'm I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. God says, no, you're going to do something all new and it's going to be great. And I just want to encourage every one of you today. You've got a daddy in heaven that loves you. The Bible says you're going to serve somebody. It's going to either be the devil or it's going to be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And I want to encourage you today to check who is your daddy. Who's your father? Because you see, all good things, the Bible says, comes down from the Father of lights. You need that in your life. And you know, when you see God use you to reach out to a lost world, that's what motivates you to go on. You see, I've always said the miracles of God are still just like they were in the Bible, but most people don't live close enough to the edge to need or to see them. And that's the way God works. Letting God be God is such a wonderful thing in your life. But just saying, Lord, get my attention. If you see something out of the ordinary, check it out. If you see a cup, And it catches your attention and you walk over and look at it. God may not want you to look at the cup, but there might be standing somebody by that cup that you need to talk to. We oftentimes think that God is going to have a neon sign and when we get close, he plugs it in and this giant arrow comes down and starts pointing at somebody. Well, I'll tell you something, when God really shows you, it's almost like that. But it doesn't start with the flashing neon sign. It starts with a burning bush. It starts with a cup on the ground. It starts with something that happens that normally would maybe make you really, really mad. Only to God to get our attention to say, this is the direction. I want you to go. You got a father in heaven that loves you. You got a daddy in heaven that will arrange the circumstances in your life so that you will be where he wants you to be. And remember this, he has the very best for you. You see, that's what a loving father does. He watches out for the best of his children. And while his son was yet a long way off, he saw him. And he didn't just see him with disgust. I think he saw him that he was coming home in his underwear. And rather than poke fun at his son, he brought a robe and he brought a ring. He brought shoes for his feet and came and blessed him. You know, you might feel like a son that ran away from God this morning. Maybe you don't even have a dad. Maybe you never knew your dad. Maybe your dad was was somebody that wasn't somebody you wanted to know. I got good news for you here today. You got a daddy in heaven that loves you and knows what you need even before you ask, the Bible says. I like that. By me asking, it simply proves that God knows what he's going to do for me. And while he was let a long way off, he knew what his son needed. He knew what his child needed this morning. God knows what you need. And the Bible says, have you come to your senses yet to realize you ain't going to do it on your own? That's what repentance is. That's where we say, okay, God, uncle, I've tried it. It don't work. I don't want to go around the mountain again. Please, just 
I surrender. That's what the Bible says repentance is. And the Bible says when we repent, accept what he's done for us, we become his child. And we're no longer illegitimate. We're no longer an orphan, but we have been adopted by our father. Isn't it weird? Again, I'm still amazed by this. Every time I think about it, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our father, which art in heaven. Isn't it weird that God wants us to relate to him as a father, not some deity that must be appeased by knocking on doors, having eight children, you know, all the stuff that religion says you got to go out and do. He just says, relate to me like a daddy that loves you. Paul says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the word Abba means the relationship that you would have with a father that you would crawl up in their lap and talk to them. Put your arm around their neck. That's what Abba means. You have a father relationship. Not some God that's out in the outermost cosmos, that's unknowable, that has ten heads. But a daddy that loves you and says, what's on your heart today? And then as we tell him what's on our heart, God says, you know what though? That stuff just sideline. Let me tell you what's on my heart. And that's what communion is. That's what being a Christian is. That's what true faith is. It isn't church religion junk. Oh, the the cults manipulate people by taking a father-child relationship and interjecting it with a bunch of religious junk. All God says is, come to me. All you are labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Hey man, I need that. I need that. This morning, if you need that, you pray this prayer. Mean it from your heart, and God will do as you ask. It's a simple prayer. Really, it's just a combination of where people came to Christ in the Bible, and we just kind of put it all together. That's where that prayer comes from. But basically, let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I ask you to forgive me of wearing myself out on things that don't matter. And so from this day forward, I want to be your child. I want you to be my father. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, covered his blood, covered my sins. And he rose from the dead so I can be alive in him and be your child. So from this day forward, I put my life in your hands. Make me the best I can be for you. Thank you for eternal life. I never have to be scared of dying ever again. Because I know when I close my eyes here for the last time, I'll open them and see you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, that's all it was. Just seeing... Hey, Lord, uncle. (laughs) Yeah, when you cry uncle, then you cry daddy. Because he's got the best for you. Being about your daddy's business, the Bible says it carries an eternal reward. You need that. You know, a lot of people say, well, if I just get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, I'll be happy. I can tell you this. You may not care about rewards today in heaven, but you will be when you get there. 
But I think there's a little bit of responsibility of pastors to help equip you so you know how to get them their rewards. But saying, God, what do you want me to do for you? That's going to, you know, the Bible says even a cup of cold water in his name carries a reward. God sees it all. I saw their affliction. Listen. While yet his son was a long way off, he saw him. God sees us. And God loves you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. We'll have a baptism. You can sign up for it. Um, A good place to read in your Bible, if you already have one, is the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 3. And just read and let the Lord speak to your heart. Be in fellowship. They're going to encourage you. And um, just let God bless you. He will. He doesn't have favorites. He loves us all. Have your kids ever come to you and said, Mommy, Daddy, who do you like best, me or sister? Oh, I like your sister a whole lot better than you. I mean, that would be crushing. But you say, Lord, I, I, I love both of you. I love you both the same. I may love you differently, but that doesn't mean the level of love is not the same. God loves us all the same. May the Lord reveal to you that love this week. May he just settle your heart. He's begun to work in you. He's going to complete it. He's clothed you with the robes. We've all come home naked. He's put a ring on your finger. He's given you authority. He's put shoes on your feet. May the Lord just keep you and cause you to understand his great love for you. Father, for every person here, every dad that's here, every mom that's here, may you remind us all the work that you've begun in us, you're going to complete. Lord, for those that said yes to you today, may you just take your bucket of golden love and pour all over them. Let them know how much you love them. The God, it isn't religion, it's simply a relationship with you where we go, Daddy. And so on this Father's Day, happy Father's Day, Lord. Thank you that we can say our Father, which art in heaven. And so, Lord, for the rest of us, may you just give us encouragement through the week. Straighten out the rough places so we can be about your business. And may we rest in you in Jesus' name.